Hi there, and thanks for listening to Shim Satira's podcast series, Sounds Like Folk. My name is Joanne Barry, and I am the Repertory Director with the National Folk Theatre at Shim Satira. My involvement with Shimsa began as a nine-year-old child, and I've been working with the company as a performer, teacher, and all-round folky for the last 15 years. We welcome in the beginnings of spring and hope for a brighter year as we continue to honour the creative impulse to swap our stories and engage with our audience. This podcast honours and celebrates the tradition of Bohan Thiacht, or gathering together, allowing a window into Shimsa which itself was born from a coming together of like-minded people, a place where ideas and stories are celebrated. My guest today is theatre director and all-round formidable person, Joe Mangan. Joe first worked with us 12 years ago on our site-specific piece, What the Folk, which toured to Dublin Theatre Festival, Cork Midsummer Festival and the Edinburgh Fringe. Joe is artistic director of the Performance Corporation. Most recent work was Emperor 101, presented at Dublin Theatre Festival and The Dead. As a recent director and CEO of Carlo Arts Festival, she pioneered digital work, including VR cinema and a VR festival campus. Among other amazing work, she created the Big House Festival and was director of the Bram Stoker Festival. She has served on many boards, including as chair of the National Campaign for the Arts. Awards include multiple Irish Times Theatre Awards, the UK-based Clore Leadership Fellowship, and the prestigious Fedora Digital Prize. Joe also founded the Performance Corporation's Space Programme, Ireland's longest-running multidisciplinary international artist residency with a current focus on arts and immersive technology. There are not enough hours in the day to talk to Joe Mangan. Enjoy the chat. Okay, so today we're joined by the lovely Joe Mangan, who I first met, uh, God, probably about 12 or 13 years ago now, I think. I was trying to think how we got connected in the, in the beginning, but I can't, was it, I can't remember, actually. Was it through, was it through Carl? Carl Possibly Wallace? through Carl Wallace, yeah. Who through was that our... project, like I think he, he forced me on ye. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we were blessed to have you. Absolutely blessed. I'm just going to read through your your very uh, impressive um, biog here. Just pick out a few things. So you're artistic director of Performance Corporation. You are were the director and CEO of Carlo Arts Festival. Still involved, I think, in some in some ways there. You have recently worked with the National Opera. You've worked on the gorgeous 14 Voices from the Bloody Field for the Abbey, and then alongside all those things, you also run. The Big House Festival and did do, did did do. do. yes, did and do there did do's. Yeah, okay. And you're also a Clore uh, fellow as well. You did the Clore Leadership Fellowship, the Clore the Leadership Fellowship. Yes, in 2011-12, which was which was great because it. If I need to do it again, I think if they'd let me back on it because yeah. um, it's one of those things that just allows you to kind of stop the bus because you want to get off for a while and really kind of refresh and check in and you know, just stop doing, doing, doing. And it allows you to just do a lot of reflection, a lot of learning, a lot of, um, yeah. yeah, a lot of deep personal and professional development, which yeah. is great. Yeah. And you've always struck me since we worked together because we learned so much from you, I suppose, as we were the raw dancers coming in and Joe Mangan, we always tell people, Joe Mangan was the person that made us talk. She was like, no, no, you have to talk about it. You can't just dance it or sing it. 
<laughs> because you were fibbing you were saying oh no we don't talk we don't talk and I was just like I was with these people who never shut up yeah. like we're just constantly talking and I was just like that's insane they got talk all the time they just have to figure out a way to do it where it doesn't feel uh uncomfortable and unusual and I yeah. think we did find our route into it through that lovely project we did together yeah. um uh, which I really really loved working with you on yeah, no, it was wonderful. It was. Um, I just want to talk about your more recent stuff as well, because you're somebody who I think, and I've 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 chatted to other people about this, that you're someone who's always sort of learning and challenging yourself and moving with the times, if, if you could put it like that. And especially with the work I suppose you're doing now and the work you just presented in South by Southwest. Yeah, so I'm a bit, I think I'm a tech nerd. I think I might embrace that in myself. Yeah. And I think it's kind of come from a place of uh, always being the person in an organization, if I was involved in an organization, to fix the computer or to tell people how to use this, that or the other. Then I I just was getting very bored with that. I was like, why, why, why can't they look up YouTube bloody tutorials or manual? So, (laughs) but, but, but I suppose it does come from a place of kind of not wanting to get left behind a little bit with technology because it, you know, it's moving, it's accelerating at such a pace that we, you know, if, if you don't keep abreast of it, you will get left behind. So as I'm getting older, I'm even more conscious of that, you know? And so maybe I've gone a little bit too far the other way. So I'm kind of, uh, involved in creating virtual worlds and um, created a virtual festival campus for Carlo Arts Festival last year. The piece that I've just brought to South by Southwest was my own company, the Performance Corporation, and it was a piece called Emperor 101 that we originally did for Dublin Theatre Festival. And that is a virtual reality um, headpiece a piece but it is live so okay. the actors are live and that's really kind of pushing the boundaries there like like a crazy person so only a crazy person would attempt to do that so it wasn't enough to kind of just be making work in virtual yeah. reality and you know sending off the files to South by Southwest no we had to have our performer in Dublin another performer god lover Katrina Virku who's on our holidays in the Canaries our server in Belfast and then us in Austin Texas whacking headsets onto people and uh, hoping against hope that it all worked and it did all work because we had because you know it's a great team of people we have around us and uh and, and the internet held up you know but like you're, there's so many variables in that work it's actually terrifying mm-hmm. but it's very it's very rewarding today I was just in with Algorithm who are a design company in Dublin because I'm directing a piece for Irish National Opera which is a virtual reality piece as well there isn't a live element in it which is a blessed relief but mm-hmm. we're pushing boundaries in other ways in terms of design and really there's kind of an aesthetic that comes through virtual reality because the 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 like we're all used to CGI, like really high definition stuff in movies or even yeah. gaming. And with the, with the kind of more portable headsets, um, that's not really possible. So you have to try and work really cleverly to try and find some way of making the visuals exciting and kind of up to par with what we're used to. Um, so we've we found some really lovely mechanisms to do that. And we're actually using AI to generate some of the imagery. So, yeah, it's kind of out there, but brilliant. Wow. So it's like every every day. Uh, on that project every every project I'm working on I'm I'm I'm, I'm learning and heading down to heading to, uh, back down to Mayo at the weekend to work on a completely different thing which is totally analog with um our good pal Ellen Cranich who's uh, composing music for us and Tom Swift who's writing so that's a brand new project we're presenting for yeah. in, in October so I'm kind of running the gamut between 
you know, the high tech stuff. And then like, I don't want any tech in this. Maybe sound, that's it. Yeah, like, yeah, maybe yeah. Some speakers, like, <laughs> let's just leave it at that, lads. Although I'm always tempted, I'm always tempted. And just like, because I know nothing about uh, VR and even as an audience member, when you talked about like having live live performers, let's call it, because is it, are you presenting a play in virtual reality? Is that the idea? And that they're going through the motions as they would if they were on a stage? Not on a stage. Yes, it's a play. Yes, it's written. Yes, it's rehearsed and scripted, but it's not on a stage. So it's basically because it's in a headset and you create the world, you can do it wherever you want. So you don't need a stage. So you create worlds or you create like individual rooms that you move through. So the first room, for example, that we made um, in Emperor is just giant tacks you know um like, like things that you'd you'd hold bits of paper or, or things on a wall with okay huge ones that are like you know bigger than than your house and you're kind of wandering through a world of them and as you approach them they there's sound in them and the piece is about conspiracy theorists so there's kind of like the sounds of folks out protesting and giving out about this that and the other and pretty dodgy stuff uh, so you can kind of move through the space <laughs> and encounter that and then you encounter the characters and they're they are conspiracy theorists and they are bringing you yeah. through their world okay. so there's there's a reason for it and, and and that's a really good question joanne because like a lot of the work that you do see in virtual reality or in those kind of more um immersive uh tech worlds they're 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 generally generated by the the makers of the 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 coders and the designers they don't they're not really at the point where they uh i don't know why but they will where they see the value of what we can bring to the, mm. to the party so yeah. i suppose i've been kind of attacking it from the other the other angle like running things like the space program which is our artist yeah. residency that's now got to focus on arts and technology to get the gear in front of artists because if you don't have it you don't know what it can do exactly. and therefore you can't work with it so it's it's uh, and it's it's running it's running ahead fast and we need mm. to we need to get on that train or, or yeah i know i know it's funny i i was listening to um a podcast that my sister sent me i don't know if you know it it's the diary of the ceo with steve bartlett and he was speaking to um he's speaking to mo Godash. i think i've pronounced that right okay. mo, he worked for google x and he has written lots of books but the last kind of quarter of that podcast is all about ai and he's written this book mm -hmm. called he's written a book called uh, scary smart okay and i was shocked like i was listening to this and i was so um blown away by the timeline he was talking about like in eight years time the power and the sophistication that ai will have in eight years yeah and it's all driven from what i could from what i could learn from it it's all driven by how we as humans interact with all of this social media and the things we like and don't like yeah. and that the humanity obviously is there but it's very very kind of like minuscule so that there's this sort of he's he's sort of he he can see he's he can see what it can do and he can see mm -hmm. the power in it but he's also quite scared of it right okay i've got to, i gotta look that up i don't know the book i don't know the book but i was at a talk actually now that you mention it because south by southwest is all about talks yes. and music and film etc and one of the talks was about artists using ai so um obviously i've spoken to you about how like there's visuals that have been generated by ai based on prompts that we have given the ai and then the designer is kind of manipulating them and we're using mm. them as, as the basis of some of the imagery we're creating but there was a guy on the panel talking about um like he runs the um international ai song contest mm. so 
And yeah, I know. And he played the winning song from the international song wow. contest, completely created by AI. Now, it's kind of like Bad Sure with, you know, the vocoder and whatnot. But <laughs> it's, you know, it's not any worse than most of the crap you hear on the radio. Yeah, channels, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, you know, I, I mean, like it, it is having an impact in various yeah. uh, areas. Um, music is a big one, potentially. Mm. Um, but I think generation of visuals and actually a lot of what the people were talking about on the panel was about kind of being because you kind of worry like, you know, people are using AI to create uh, original material. Like, what does that mean for you as an artist? But these, mm. a couple of women on the on the panel were talking about being curators. So it's effectively like you've got a thousand paintings that have been sent to you for an exhibition and you're going through them and picking what you think will work together so there is a creative element to it and I, I would make it yeah it's more akin to curation or programming that than it is to like you're not sitting down with your pen and pencil anymore and drawing so yes. like let's yes. hope those skills don't disappear mm. altogether and I think I, I hope they don't but they certainly can be applied very interestingly to artificial mm. intelligence and help us make our work um, yeah. better, I hope. And from the perspective, like as an audience, have you spoken to audiences about like maybe someone like even like myself who would go to traditional theatre or dance or music yeah. and then they have their first experience wearing this headset and engage yeah. with that kind of material in that location, in that way? What's the feedback like? It depends. I mean, it's very much like um, it, it, it really does depend on how much experience people have. So when we did our piece in Dublin Theatre Festival, the majority of people were theatre goers who would never put a headset on. So we we spent a lot of we took a lot of care with the kind of onboarding. Mm. It's called like basically how do you put the headset on? How do you adjust the strap? What do the controllers do? Blah, blah, blah. And in one case, remember, it took us 20 minutes to get a guy through the door, an older gentleman. But once like and we we made the controls so simple that you literally just had you just had to use your left thumb to go forward. And that was it. And you kind of flicked it forward and you saw an arc and you followed that. Okay. But that's complicated for some people if they haven't done that before mm -hmm. so um so so I think for me it's always about like I'm working with developers um who are like yeah you press this button and, and, and click 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 and I'm like no so for this new project with Irish National Opera no controllers so okay. what we can do now is because again the technology is moving so quickly uh hand tracking is is it happens so what, what you see in the headset is you see a version of your hands and the hands we've designed for this piece they're kind of impressionistic version of hands so they have kind of you know a trail almost almost like there's, there's a kind of trail so they feel they are your hands you can sense that they're your hands the okay. the sensors in the front of the goggles are perceiving them as hands but they have an artistic quality to them as well mm -hmm. and they also have agency crucially so you don't have to know like you know the way like if you've got an ipad or whatever you kind of pinch and drag and it's 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 pure well we're working on it but it should be purely intuitive <laughs> that you can push things away or okay wow. you know, scrabble at things and it will it will have an effect in the in the environment so i mean it is very exciting it is very new um it's not uh, it's it's not something I've seen done yet. And that's what kind of excites me is doing things that I haven't seen done yet in a way that like, you know, I have made film and like, you know, most recently, I suppose I did a piece called the um, 72 hour party, which was in, um, is that what we called it? Something like that. <laughs> it was in the big brawn <laughs> factory in, uh, in, in Carlo last year. And uh, we'd like, you know, loads of artists, massive amounts of installation. We shot a beautiful film over three days and put it together. And I've made film with um, Irish National Opera and a number there, 20 shots of opera, but it's not my 
area of expertise and and again I learn a huge amount in it Mm. but I'm not having a conversation with the camera guy that is as level as the conversations I can have with developers in VR because I always have that kind of sort of um imposter syndrome a bit around films like there's 100 years of of more 120 30 odd years of film you know in the can literally Mm. and I don't know what a camera can do and I don't know what the different lenses can do and you know I you know I mean I have some of the lingo down now from having done a bit but I do feel like I'm I'm in the same room as the VR developer literally it's like I'm challenging them with stupid ideas and they're going oh no you couldn't possibly do that and then they go away and think about it and they go actually I found a way to do something even better Mm. so that's exciting yeah brilliant brilliant. and then uh because I sent you some uh, questions before we we chatted about to go from that like where you are now in that world like when I heard you were making VR work I was like not surprised that's Joe (laughs) she's going to be making something that nobody else is doing Yeah, I like making my life difficult. Yeah, That's- exactly. Or exciting uh, or challenging. But to go back. So then to the start and where it all started off and where like uh, people say, you know, did you always know you were going to work in the arts? Did you always know? I didn't until I had uh, so in national school here, not far from where I am at the moment. I'm in County Kildare, but I went to school in County Meath and um, our national school teacher used to always say, everyone has a talent and I was waiting and I was waiting and it wasn't Irish dancing I'm afraid I was only ever I was going every Wednesday I was doing my simple reel and I never got much further than that and it wasn't singing and it was you know and it certainly wasn't sports and anyway so I was waiting for this talent to arrive I knew was I was good at school but like you know pretty easy in a six class six six person class to be you know yeah heading towards the top um so it was, it was only in secondary school when I went to secondary school and I had a, a, a there was a nun teaching us and every Friday she used to make us put on little plays and um so I just started to discover this and ended up directing things didn't realize that's what I was doing I was just being bossy and telling everyone else what to do and uh and we did a version of the Wizard of Oz where I was the Wicked Witch and as well as directing it and then she um, asked us to put it on in front of the whole school which we did and then I was like this is great this is great but it was when she actually put in my report Josephine which is my real name Mm -hmm. has has a real talent for acting I was like ding 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 Mm-hmm. now she was wrong on that beha- on that side I don't have a real talent for acting but uh, I certainly had a developed a graph for theatre at that point and uh, and it was because someone saw something in me and it was very mm-hmm. simple you know and mm-hmm. it just was massively encouraging and there was none there was no background in my family I'd never like in order to go to Trinity which I did do do drama you had to I was lucky enough to get called for an interview I think that was based on my appalling um uh art portfolio where I just retitled everything with drama names you know like, okay. like this is this is Macbeth this is Hamlet before he goes to meet his mother whatever and um uh so I had to go see a, uh, I had to talk about a professional theatre show as part of the interview and sure I'd never seen one like mm. so I got my dad to bring me to the Borstal Boy so as I'd have something to talk about and it was amazing and it was Neil Tobin in it Wow. And Dara Kelly, who I was lucky enough to direct myself, like probably 20 years later. Wow. Um, but there was a load of naked men in it. So, so it was kind of like <laughs> mortally <laughs> embarrassing sitting beside my father with a load of naked men running around on the gaiety oh, wow. stage. But, but wonderful. And, and kind of, 
actually just talking about it there kind of came full circle for me a little bit in uh, summer last year we were able to present our version of the dead on the Gaty stage um our opera version that we did with Ellen Cranich as well and, and Tom and um of course it was in the height of the pandemic so like we were in this beautiful stage with this you know amazing show that we were able to revive and we were allowed 50 people in the audience socially distanced and masked so you know it was amazing but it was also you know oh, you'd yeah. love to have been out of the sea of faces yeah. yeah the disappointment I think too that you can't share all the work yeah. but what yeah. was really well I think was when um the 20 shots of opera was amazing in that so many people engaged with that work because obviously because people were dying to see something yeah but also because it was just, I don't know. I mean, I, I've gone to, I, I like opera and I go now and again, but it was yeah. really accessible. A lot yeah. of that work was really accessible and worked really well. Um, and just to have all those different people working was brilliant. Yeah, it was. And I, nothing, well, most of them came in around five minutes. I think a few of them um, were a little bit longer, but I think I think that made, made it bite-sized and, and, and they were all different, you know? I mean, I, I directed five of them, but... Yeah each of them had their own flavor and then the, you know so obviously the other directors brought their own flavor to things but it was it was you know it, it was exciting to have kind of the impetus of a composer and a librettist and to be able to kind of then work with the camera lights camera action you know yeah. to bring that all together and to do it all super quick mm. um, it was and how, exciting. how was how how do you approach opera differently to other work um, do i Good question. Uh, I haven't I haven't done a huge amount of opera, but I guess in terms, well, actually, the, the big difference is normally you go into the rehearsal room and you just have to get people up and moving and get the words out. Uh, that's kind of the least of your worries in opera. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's it's all of the music and that takes yeah. so much time. Like like certainly anything I've worked on it takes at least 50% of the time if not more especially if it's something brand new people are learning on the floor or you know they might be taking the music home and learning it but it's like trying to get people moving on the stage and singing um is is it is a challenge it's a challenge as you well know indeed <laughs> inside out so it's remarkable that you can not only in shimsa you know dance and sing and like it it's it's kind of remarkable and mm. the more work i do in the kind of uh music and theater world the more i can appreciate the the talent of all you guys to be able to yeah. do that it's yeah. remarkable really yeah thanks joe um, I ask all my my uh, my I won't call them my victims, my guests on my on that like role. Uh, have you have you got a memory of like a, your biggest challenge to date working in the arts? Oh, there's so many. Mm. There's so many. Uh, the big the biggest whew, probably the most traumatic one. I haven't really spoken about it. Was um, my time at the Limerick City of Culture actually. Mm. So that was. Um, from a uh, not really from a creative perspective but from a kind of um managing stakeholders perspective and there was a lot of conflicting um demands on on us and mm -hmm. when i say us i mean there were there was myself and Maeve McGrath and Carl Wallace who's the director at the time who resigned ultimately and it was i think that the the, the it, it, it was it was a really horrible time actually because it really mm -hmm. felt like it was the worst of 
um, what would you say? <laughs> it was the worst of uh, um, instrumentalization of the arts. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, it didn't feel like there was really any care about the actual artists or the actual work that was going to be put on and how that connected with the audience. The, the, the demands of, I suppose, the council, the, the kind of local authority in that instance yeah was about um, promoting the city. Mm-hmm. And I think possibly it was a bad alignment initially. It was like that wasn't in any way communicated to us that that mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know if I would have gone in if I thought that that was the thing, if I thought the job was to promote a city as opposed to actually to create exciting work and amazing yeah. opportunities yeah. for artists and for audiences. So I think those kind of, those kind of things, they're, they're repeated it wasn't just Limerick, like, and it wasn't just us, like 50% of directors of cities of culture around Europe resign. It's so common. It's because mm-hmm. of that conflict. And, you know, Galway had similar mm-hmm. challenges as well. So I think we're still, and it's not just me, I think we're still at a place where um, the arts is used for X or Y, whether it's, you know, social inclusion or whether it's, you know, g up the city or, yeah. you know, animating streets that are run down it's like the, the the artistic impulse itself is not necessarily supported and I think yeah. for things to be authentic and for um artists work to actually have an impact it has to be authentic and it, I think respond responding to what artists can bring to uh the table rather than um dictating it from above would be a really really healthy change mm. uh probably won't see it in my lifetime but you know <laughs> I know and it's a shame when all that stuff kind of gets in the way whereas if you just let you know allow people to do the job that they've been brought in to do um you know and take away all the nonsense and all the bureaucracy yeah you're you're not going to be let down by people who are skilled in the arts and know what they're doing yeah that's it exactly Joanne I think there's also a massive misconception in uh in certain quarters of society possibly more in the kind of civil servant side of things I'm not sure that and um, those of us working in the arts don't have the requisite skills to 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 deliver you know large scale um projects on time and on budget yeah frankly if we were running most of the large scale uh projects that were uh <laughs> put in place by government <laughs> over the over the years uh, they would have been delivered on time and definitely on budget because mm-hmm. uh, if there's one thing we know how to do it's to mind the pennies absolutely 100% and put on the show on time exactly whenever we say it's going to go on yeah like you've no choice so yeah 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 we've been doing it for so long now it's like second nature you must come in on the budget and you and the show has to go on on a certain day exactly exactly so we just need to start running the country and then everything will be grand yeah yeah i agree i agree um i the last thing we might talk about is uh working in the industry as a woman and a woman, a woman of a certain vintage, shall we say, that we would both How dare you both, both, be, both be of a certain vintage. I'm, uh, I'm going to take that. That's a generous offer. I will, I will, uh, I will I'm happily be included in your vintage. Good know, year, it was a good year. I'm telling you, absolutely. Uh, I suppose the reason I, I, you know, and my colleague who you know well, and I, we talk about this a lot because, um, especially I suppose as dancers. Uh, we're getting older the body's not doing maybe what you want it to do and and 
oh, the imagination is still, you know, on point and, and creative and all this, but sometimes the body doesn't do what you want it to do. And I, you know, I'm not comparing myself to, to elite athletes or, but I watched this documentary about, um, AP McCoy, I think it's AP McCoy, the jockey, you know, mm-hmm. and he was talking about, uh, I could, I could completely relate to him. He was just talking about like how hard it is to let go as a dancer, as a jockey, um, and as a dancer to say, okay, I can't do those things. I can do all these other things, but I can't do those things. And I think maybe it's different for yourself. I'll let you speak now, but how's, how, how is, how's it going? <laughs> well, um, in, in conversely, maybe because my body has never been a particularly strong member of my toolkit. It's always been kind of the yoke I'm dragging along after me. That's kind of, you know, uh, where the rest of me is deposited. Um, the breaking down of the sinews isn't Mm. necessarily affecting my work but there is certainly a consciousness of getting older and a consciousness of oh jesus like and especially when you're trying to reinvent the wheel all the time because i seem to which i seem to be addicted to you do um like (laughs) there's it's like well you know do i have any right to continue to do this like should i be just you know i don't know finding something and being quiet over in the corner um but there's there's times in my life when I have little um, little moments of encouragement and one happened to me earlier this year I was fortunate enough to be the artist in residence in this Irish cultural center in Paris so I was going around seeing as much as I could going to art galleries going to um theater so extraordinary theater like I mean which is probably going to shove me off in another path altogether which is kind of large-scale European stuff I'm really interested in yeah in a way it's kind of like back to basics a bit for me just sort of the large-scale um ensembles that they have in Europe that we just don't have here but um so I want to go do a bit of work with some of those if I can mm. but but I, I went to a gig one night and it was Jean-Michel Jarre and it was ambisonic sound. It was, it was about me and about, I'd say, 199 men of a slightly older vintage than me sitting, listening to Jean-Michel Jarre on, on uh, swivel stools. And he was playing up the top of the room and it was this amazing uh, sound system and it was proper dance music, like what kind of trippy dance music definitely the stuff that people much younger than me would happily dance to okay. and I was just like Jean Michel Jarre, what did you just see now afterwards because you weren't allowed to have your phone what did you see now? 73 and he looks hot right wow. at plenty of time yeah so you know <laughs> brilliant yeah yeah that was it's encouraging you know it's yeah. encouraging to see people as they get older not uh losing their edge and I don't think we have to and I you know we're we're, we're we're not, fortunately, we didn't grow up where um, we have to necessarily start wearing plaid skirts and no. uh, and headscarves when we hit a certain age. So um, I'll be continuing to dye my hair as bright red as I can get away with. And I reckon I can just keep getting away with it because who's going to stop me? Nobody, Joe. Glad to hear it. Thanks so much for chatting to me. And just to end, I suppose, on, on our great experience with What the Folk, uh, which was 12 years ago now we first oh presented God, yeah and then we we almost had a baby in the middle of it in Edinburgh and then we went back and did it again which was brilliant yes. it was a great yes. it was, and you know we often talk about Jonathan often mentions that it it was a site-specific piece and we we you know we made it for a house that we lived in but in one sense it's almost it was quite traditional mm. in a lot of ways because it was that coming that gathering together of people in a house to tell stories 
absolutely and i think that like it was it 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 it, it very much came from you guys you know it's like it's what you do so well it's storytelling it's um singing it's dancing it's welcome and you know your lemon drizzle cake was the, the, played a starring role if i remember correctly and kind of brought us all around the table together but it, it does still feel like a very unique project and something mm -hmm. i very much refer to like frequently when i'm you know talking to people about work and it was quite unique and i think your your um collective courage and stepping into that space and kind of embracing something that you guys hadn't necessarily done before mm. um was 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 beautiful and breathtaking and really the authenticity of it i think like touched people so much and uh it, it would be it would be very rare and there was so many of the, i mean i don't know how many performances you did more than like if you were doing a, a run on broadway like there was so many a hundred <laughs> but too many yeah but but like no i i think it was very rare for anyone to have, to leave that performance without feeling um incredibly touched and probably crying from either empathy or reflection on loss or you know that they might have felt themselves mm -hmm. for, that the kind of your work reminded them of or the particular note Joanne that you hit yeah. every single day that's <laughs> oh right my god Clarbugdale I have to write it down because I keep I keep uh, it's something yeah. there's something if we if if in this it's something I've referred to even in this project this virtual reality project with lovely um composer called Finola Merivale who's from Cork okay. don't hold that against her um she's uh, she's she's writing the music for it and um I've referenced that mm. moment in that piece with you where you you know we're we're with you we've built up this beautiful um situation uh for the audience we're all in a room together the story's being told you sing the song and it just it soars into this place that your heart aches towards and you just mm. i don't know every single time i just wept i and know it's like, it was amazing it's like that little amazing. it's like that button you know that you you want you want people to go there and and it was amazing that every time as you say we had gone through that little journey with them yeah you get to that moment and they just get it they just understand yeah. what what yeah. she was, is and what that folk theater moment was it was wonderful Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and even more than that, I think they, un, they it was like we under I certainly felt a deep connection to my uh humanity and also my um my roots, my mm -hmm. you know, my my Irish roots, like in a way that I've never felt from sitting down and reading Peg. Yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, know, but just I know it just it was, I felt like so authentic. Well, that's brilliant. Thanks, Joe. It was lovely to talk to you. Oh, you too. And all I can think about now is uh, folk theatre and virtual reality. So I'm just going to go away and let my brain explode around that. Let's do it, baby. It'd be amazing to have some Irish dancing in a VR headset. I'm doing some work with another composer called Karen Power down in the Bear Peninsula. Soon we're doing some exploration of VR for uh, for maybe some new work in, 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 no. in the neighbourhood. Great stuff. So, Fab. Maybe, I'll come and, maybe I'll come and see you on the way. Oh, do for sure. Do for sure. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for listening to our podcast, which was edited, as always, by Tom Hannafin. To find out more about Joe Mangan's work, visit www.theperformancecorporation.com. And to find out more about Shim Satira, head to our website, www.shimsatira.com. You will also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, bye bye. <laughs>